0: What do you call music that flows freely across the border, separating pop, rock, jazz, and classical? At the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, we call it liquid music. This podcast, Liquid Music Playlist, is a place where you can tap into it. And this is music by composer and electric guitarist, Stephen Mackey.
1: I've got pipe dreams for operas and piano concertos, but it's not those big moments that really drive me. It's the every day, the privilege of getting up and having my purpose be to invent music.
0: Steve Seal from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. In these podcasts, we talk with musicians like Stephen Mackey, some of the most adventurous and genre-defying composers, musicians, and performers in new music today. Our conversations have two parts. First, we find out a little bit about their music and career, and then, in the spirit of discovery that defines liquid music they get to recommend music by another artist that you might want to check out. It's all part of the flow of liquid music, where the exploration of new ideas and the celebration of new sounds never stops. Support for Liquid Music Playlist comes from McNally Smith College of Music, a contemporary music program that provides an education focused on artistry, technology, and entrepreneurship. Check them out, McNallySmith.edu. Here with me in the McNally Smith Studios is Stephen Mackey. Thanks for joining me for Liquid Music Playlist. Oh, my pleasure, Steve. We've been listening to portions of your work Fusion Tune, which is for guitar and cello. This recording features you on guitar and Fred Sherry playing the cello. I'm so glad that you could be here with us. You're here in Minneapolis for the world premiere of your brand new work, Orpheus Unsung, which is a work for electric guitar and percussion. You're performing with Jason Truding of the group So Percussion, and you've conceived this work with director-designer Mark DiCiatza. It's a wordless opera, you've called it. So if it's wordless, tell me how it's an opera. Well, it, it
1: tells a story, uh, the Orpheus myth, and um, actually there's somebody at the the premiere last night who described it to me perfectly. She herself was an opera singer and she said, you know, I really felt I was following the story and that the guitar was doing the singing and everything is there except for the words and the big vibrato. <laughs> That's
0: right. The, the, the standard opera singer vibrato. Exactly. So why did you uh, want to choose the uh, the Orpheus story in particular?
1: Well, there's a, a couple of reasons. One, For a wordless opera, it is helpful to have a story that's kind of in the public domain. It's in everybody's sophomore English class. I mean, Mm -hmm. but it also just deals with some kind of timeless themes, powerful themes. There's this loss and struggle and transcendence. And I think all my music deals with those things. So basically, I found a story that fits what I do musically anyway.
0: I wonder if you could tell us about your journey to being a performing composer. You being an electric guitarist who didn't read music when you started off in college, it seems to me it wouldn't have mattered how well you played or how much you actually understood about music. You just weren't going to be taken seriously at any music school, right? What was your yeah. experience? Well,
1: first of all, to talk about 25 years ago, I premiered a piece for electric guitar and string quartet and uh, the the review of the premiere said combining the electric guitar and the classical string quartet is a terrible idea and mackie does it terribly the only good thing about being (laughs) at this concert is the comfort in knowing that this music will never be heard again (laughs) now i have to say that i've played that piece probably 200 times in the last 20 years and what was that piece (laughs) it's called physical property was sort of fast forward my background before that um i played the guitar like all teenagers growing up in the late 60s in northern california you know i had a a garage band and i was very serious about music i mean i practiced all the time sure during the summer when i was off from school that's all i did Mm -hmm. but you know in rural central valley northern california there's no bbc3 there's no mpr even where I had occasion to hear classical music. So I was in college and had never heard classical music. Just to check the box on arts area distribution requirement, I thought I'd take a music appreciation course and heard for the first time Monteverdi madrigals and Mozart Piano Concertos and late Beethoven String Quartets and Stravinsky Ballets and George Crumb Black Angels. And Mm. that music just blew my mind. Mm I I thought of it as like, this is the most psychedelic prog rock that I'd ever heard. Oh, that's the best way I've ever heard that put. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, my band was getting, you know, some rejection letters from presenters that said, um, you know, your band is really... Tight, and you're great musicians, but your originals are kind of weird and hard to dance to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I listened to Stravinsky and say, "Well, this is weird and hard to dance to," and nobody's complaining about that. So right. I really made the decision at that point that that's that's what I should be doing. string quartets a lot. I've probably played with over 60 string quartets in my my career. And being you know, in a, an intense string quartet rehearsal and hearing how they work together has really transformed my playing. The review I mentioned earlier was not all wrong. I think he was wrong about the music, but my playing really wasn't right. I played like an electric guitar player in a rock band. I played on top of the music instead of playing in the music.
0: playing, writing pieces for electric guitar and what, that, did you did you think, yeah, I'm going to write a piece that calls for, in the score, feedback and, you know, that kind of stuff that's very idiomatic for the guitar, and do you find that a lot of your pieces call for these very specific, you know, electric guitar? Yeah, and, yeah.
1: The, the, the kind of mother's milk sound of the electric guitar to me is an overdriven electric guitar, like a Dwayne Allman, you know, sound, that yeah. kind of smooth, yeah, I, I to me it's a very singing sound, um, yet a lot of audience members, uh, certainly in the beginning of my career, who kind of appreciated that sound of the electric guitar, who dug that, maybe didn't appreciate sort of the long narrative arc which is more of a classical thing and the people who really got the long narrative arc of of classical music were sort of put off by that sound but I realized it's not just the sound it was the way I was playing again it's kind of a a rhythmic thing Um, because the guitar can make that sound with modern technology without being loud I can balance with a string quartet just fine dynamically and what I wasn't doing 20 years ago what I am doing now is balancing with them in terms of kind of rhythmic detail. You know, you you must include me in the string quartet because the rhythm depends on it rather than, again, me just, you know, blowing over these changes. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: I'm Steve Seal, this is Liquid Music Playlist. Okay Steve, now it's time for the portion of our show and uh, you get to share some music with us. Now I have to say, this is the first time on this program I think that we've ever jumped back not just into the basic repertoire instead of listening to something else that's contemporary but indeed jumped way, way back in time here and I love that you've picked this because this is gonna seem so unexpected I think for a lot of listeners. So what did you wanna share?
1: Well, I wanted to share um, the William Byrd Mass for Four Voices, the Agnus Dei movement. This is one of the first pieces of, well, it's not even classical music. I mean, it's Renaissance music. Um, I love the singing, and I should just parenthetically say that growing up as a rock musician, singing was always the kind of a naturalistic rock kind of singing. And I must confess that I've never really fully got on board with the operatic approach to singing, the, the big vibrato. But on first hearing, the pure voices that sing early music, just without vibrato and um, so serene. It's just, I find it so expressive. Part of the um, artifacts of that purity is that the dissonance in the harmony becomes so much more vivid, even though by today's standards, it's very mild dissonance. Um, You know, we have a lot fancier chords that we use nowadays, Hmm. but in this music, just that F against that E with those pure voices. It just breaks my heart. Um, at the end of this movement, the text is Donna Nobis, and they just sing this over and over again with this, the technical term is suspensions, these chains of suspensions, and it just, it just hurts so good.
0: So for our listeners who are not familiar, what is William Byrd's uh, significance in musical history?
1: William Byrd um, lived at the end of the 1500s and the beginning of the 1600s in England. He was a f- famous composer. Back then, everybody was a court composer uh, or a church composer. Mm-hmm. But his masses, I think, really the, expressed the kind of the height of the high, high Renaissance right before it goes into the Baroque period. And I think William Byrd's music is just the tip over when music becomes harmonic and really has a harmonic identity instead of a the prior sort of floating linear quality, but you don't really discern uh, harmonic events as
0: much. I feel like listening to this music that it's in some ways easier to get into almost uh, than... than some more mainstream core repertoire classical music, you know, it almost speaks to the same reason that, for example, a composer like Arvo Pärt has connected so much with contemporary audiences and with people who may not necessarily be um, big core classical music listeners. You know, there's something that's very very direct about this. Yes, yeah,
1: I, I totally agree. This music breaks music down to its absolutely essential qualities of line and the way lines combine to make harmony, and as I said before, dissonance is becomes so important. It's, it's an event, it's not just something that's tossed off. And it's just, well, for lack of a better word, it's just so clearly spiritual. It doesn't matter where you are in, in your own spiritual life, you can't listen to this music and not feel uplifted. You can't miss it, it, <laughs> it, it is
0: just, it just hovers. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. Stephen Mackey, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, it's really been my pleasure. Stephen Mackey's brand new composition is Orpheus Unsung, the finale of the 2015-2016 Liquid Music Series. It's an opera for electric guitar and percussion with choreography and projected media. We heard the music of William Byrd, performed by the Tallis Scholars. This episode of Liquid Music Playlist was brought to you by our friends at McNally Smith College of Music. Based in downtown St. Paul, the school puts a focus on providing the skills and education needed to prepare their students for a contemporary career in music. In fact, we're recording in their studios right now. More at McNallySmith.edu. Liquid Music Playlist is a production of the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. Learn more at liquidmusicseries.org. The creator and producer of the podcast is Don Lee. Kate Nordstrom is Liquid Music curator, and Matt Tucson is executive producer of Digital Media. Production support from Charlie Christensen and Liquid Music assistants, Patrick Marschke, Lauren McNee, and Carl LeBron. I'm Steve Seal. Thanks for listening to Liquid Music Playlist.